0: Round three has come and gone, and the talking points just keep on coming. This week on the podcast, we delve into the value of taggers, the rise of the general forward, and dissect just what pressure
1: is. You're listening to the ESPN Footy Tips AFL Podcast.
0: Well, what was originally slated as a 30-minute weekly podcast is starting to become a bit of a challenge uh, for us here at ESPN Australia. Our pre-production meeting got a bit heated, Neil C. Wang. Should we have recorded some of that discussion as well?
2: Would have been interesting. Might have been a few bleeped out moments. Um, But yeah, certainly so much to talk about.
0: Well, Jake, speaking of bleeped out moments, I'm very much looking forward to your rant uh, later on. Jake Michaels from ESPN.com.au. G'day, Matt. Yeah, well, stay tuned. It's a doozy this week. (laughs) It is. I've I've seen the notes and (laughs) I'm looking forward to it, I've got to say. And from Champion Data, Christian Jolly, welcome along. Thank you. Uh, so Neil last week we sort of touched on your tipping form uh, has it improved this week was it two last week
2: that you got uh, no, don't sell me short I think it was three last week <laughs> and four the previous week so I'm actually on an upward curve I got five which I, I think was oh, maybe okay. just above oh, the competition six average six next week storming back contention. it's all happening
0: <laughs> uh, Jake how's, uh, how's your week been tipping wise well, you, well that and I think you went to a couple of games on the weekend as well
3: yeah uh, tip six which was not too bad Um Yeah, was at the Collingwood West Coast game, which I thought Collingwood would win that easily, but uh, I was impressed by West Coast. I know they're the reigning premiers, but they sort of seemed to fly under the radar a little bit, Um, and Andrew Gaff's return was exceptional as well. Mm. Christian,
0: what caught your eye from the weekend?
1: Uh, I was at the uh, Bulldogs-Gold Coast game on Sunday, and I saw my certainty tip from last week lose to the Gold Coast, (laughs) so so it was an interesting game, though, so...
0: Yeah, I think, uh, I think we had a bit of a bad one. I think I tipped the Blues to be my outsider and they couldn't get the job done against Sydney, so we might need to... Well, I was
3: pretty confident in uh, Geelong getting over the Crows, which, yeah. was, which was a good one. Yeah, I was
0: pretty happy. I think when the Crows came storming back in that, that last quarter, I was a bit nervous, but uh, the Cats held on and, and that was a good win for the Cats. And they Maybe we, we talk about them in a, a future pot. I don't think we've got time for that today, so we'll see how we go. But, all right, let's get into it. Uh, without further ado, we're going to move into our first segment. It's time for 3 on 3. Dustin Martin was in the news this week for his on-field acts, but what caught our eye were the comments from his coach on the attention he received from tagger Matt DeBoer. Neil, I'm going to throw this to you after we listen to Damien Hardwick's comments. Well, at the end of the day, blokes come to watch the number four play. Let the bloke play the the game. Protect the ball carrier, is what I'm saying. You know, don't get me wrong, DeBoer did a terrific job, but jeez... Well, I'm certainly frustrated. I'll be interested to see what the umpiring fraternity says about it. Neil, I uh, threw to you a bit early, but do people come to see the number four play or a tag is still part of the game?
2: Well, of course they come to, to see the stars play. But this sort of attitude is, in, in my view, completely wrong. There's only a couple of hand, a handful of superstars in the league, but they don't deserve special treatment. And Hardwick going on about the fact that the fans come to watch his stars play, uh, and the fact that Matt DeBoer's job is just completely to negate Dustin Martin but yeah that's a great job he's done it beautifully and how different is that how is that any different to compared to what forwards put up with when they've got someone on their shoulder who's and the defender's primary objective is to negate that opponent all game so why why is it any different if it's a midfielder it just staggers me that this coach would come out with such an outdated point of view
3: well, it's no different at all i mean I'm sorry, but you got to get over it, Damien Hardwick. I mean, that's just not good enough. That's just the way the game goes. And you look at someone like Gary Ablett, who's you know in the the middle part of his career, maybe not the first two or last two years, but the middle ten, twelve years of his career. This this is a guy that went out every single week and was the best player on the ground for ten years, and he copped attention every single week and he fought through it. I'm not saying Dustin Martin can't fight through it. He'll come back and he'll he's a great player. He's a Brownlow medalist and he will fight back. But you know, that's what happens. It's no different. And you can't just say Matt DeBoer has shouldn't be going to him. Of course, you want to shut down the best players on the opposition.
1: I think these comments are just going to invite more taggers to Dustin Martin, aren't they? They've just sort of shown that it's going to frustrate him. Clubs are so, certainly going to just send taggers straight to him from It's worked.
0: Well, the, the thing that really upset me about Hardwick's comments, on the field, Dustin Martin whacked a bloke, got two weeks. and He's going to the tribunal tonight. So if you're listening to this uh, later in the week, you'll know the outcome of that. But he also copped a fine for a couple of, uh, what's the Pretty word? Pretty poor gestures. Poor gestures yep. towards uh, Shane Mumford and a couple of the other giants. With a, for a team without Jack Revolt, Alex Rance, and probably now Trent Cochin as well for a, a week or two. Jaden Short. Jaden Short. He is one of the on-field leaders, and this is how he's acting. He's whacking blokes off the ball. He's making obscene gestures, copping fines and copping weeks. For Damien Hardwick to defend him in the press conference, I thought was really, really poor. And I think that he had the opportunity to send a message to Martin in the press conference, and shirked it completely.
3: Yeah, I, I wrote in our What to Watch For column last week that Dusty really had to stand up against the Giants, uh, and for the points that you raise, without some of their more experienced players. You know, we all know the great heights that he hit in 2017, he's a superstar player, but that was really, really poor, his game, and not just the hit, and not just the, the gestures to, to Mumford, but... His game as a whole, I mean, he was shocking. He really, really was was just about one of the worst Tigers out there.
2: Yeah, he really was. He's, he's he, he might enjoy this, this couple of weeks off. I don't know if he "enjoys" the right word, but he actually might help be a circuit, a circuit, circuit breaker it. for he him. He really needs it. But yeah. getting on to the, the broader point of, of Tigers once again, why don't more clubs play them? They're viewed almost... In a negative light, but taggers—a good tagger can be a weapon. If you're a a club coming up against a team with one genuine gun midfielder, if you can take them out of the game legally, what? What a one? Yeah, exactly. So I I think
0: I I, I don't get the poor attitude towards taggers. I think that they're excellent to watch because, oh, sure, you want to see the great players, you know, have thirty and kick a couple of goals, but. To watch someone like a Mark Hutchings completely negate a player, to me,
1: that's excellent footy as well. Like, What's the problem? Correct. So I think the big thing is if you've got a good tagger, you've got to use it. But not every club has a good tagger. That's true. So um, that's probably something, you know, recruiting departments, they're not going to go out and look for kids that are great taggers as a junior. You've sort of got to bring in midfielders and sort of work out which ones have got the defensive uh, sort of mindset to work as a tagger. I think that's the biggest thing. Not every club has a, a one guy on their list that can be a midfield tagger just sort of sitting there waiting in the wings.
0: Well, I think, you know, we go back maybe 10 years. You, you were saying about the Gary Ablett thing. He faced some pretty decent taggers. I mean, sort of the Stephen Bakers of the time, the Ryan Crowleys. Like, I think we sort fought of... fought through it. You know, he did. He's a champion player. And he was excellent. So I think that instead of saying that Dustin Martin needs to be protected, someone like Damien Hardwick needs to say, Dustin Martin needs to work through this and keep getting his 25 and kicking a goal or two.
3: Yeah, he does. Um, and as I said, I, I'm confident that he can do that. Um, but there's a place for taggers in, in modern-day football. 100%. And... Um, I said before we even started recording. If if Dusty, if, if Damien Hardwick had been coaching Adelaide in the twenty seventeen Grand Final, I can bet you right now he would have been putting some attention into Dusty Martin. All right, moving on to
0: our next topic. Uh, I'm just going to pose this question to the to the group: Are we seeing at the moment the rise of the general forward? Christian, I know you've got a couple of interesting points and stats about this that you'd like to share. Yeah, so Firstly, sorry, what is a general forward?
1: So a general forward, we sort of, um, probably eight, nine years ago, we had tall, medium, small forwards, um, and sort of found that the way our team lists were going is very hard to sort of differentiate. What's the difference between a medium and small? So we've sort of got key and general players, the so key defenders, key forwards, general forwards, general defenders. Uh, basically, key forwards are, you know, you sort of tall marking targets up forward, general forwards, uh, probably more ground-level players. But just on this discussion, being able to find those general forwards that are actually good overhead and take a mark is one, one key aspect of it. And the other one is sort of being able to find guys that can just naturally win the ball. So midfielders as kids, they can go forward, take a mark and kick goals. So the general forwards that I think are sort of uh, top of the competition, one's been out injured, but it's probably a forgotten one. Josh Caddy was brilliant for Richmond last year, 40 goals, uh, all Australian squad in the end. Jordan Degoe, who we spoke about last week, uh, quickly rising up to be one of the best players Topped in the comp. a
0: bit comp. of flack for that, did Jake, on uh, social media. Big Stand call. by,
1: another three goals. <laughs> Just in case you miss it,
0: Jordan degoey he said, is the best player in the game, or will be the best player in the, the game. Or is in, in the, the conversation. In the conversation. He backtracked pretty quickly, but anyway. We'll <laughs> move move he's
1: a top fiver. Yep. Uh, so, some other names that are playing well as general Ford. Jack Zeeble, Jake Malksham, Isaac Heaney. So, what those five names all have in common is they all started their career, or played as their junior career, as midfielders. Uh, But they've all got these sort of keys, uh, the tools to sort of take a good overhead mark, find the footy at ground level. Uh, They can, you know, tackle as midfielders, which, you know, coaches are big on their general forward sort of taking part in that forward half-pressure game. Uh, So, yeah, definitely that position is becoming sort of um, very much more important for each team, and each team is sort of using one or two midfielders now in their forward line.
2: So are we seeing more teams uh, utilising the utilising the medium or slash small forwards as primary goal kickers now? Is it starting to become... Some of these these medium-type players starting to become more and more impactful on the scoreboard? Kicking yes. a lot of bags. Yeah.
1: So we, I looked at scoreboard impact. Um, so the top 10 players for scoreboard impact this year, five of them are general forwards. Uh, four of the top six are all general forwards. So that's uh, Alex Sexton from Gold Coast, Charlie Cameron from Brisbane, Luke Bruce and Jake Malksham are all in the top six for scoreboard impact and DeGoey's ninth. Last year, there was only two general forwards in the top 10. 2017, same number. 2016, there was three. There was four in 2015. That includes Jake Stringer, who is sort of that right on that borderline of, is he a key forward or a general forward? In 2015, we had him as a general. And in 2014, there was two of the top 10. So yeah, half of the top 10 scoreboard impact players are now general forwards. They're so definitely having more impact. That's I-
0: interesting. Sorry, Jake, you
3: go on. I was going to say, I-, I guess that obviously shows that they're having more of an impact. But does it? do they now, do the small to medium forwards now not take over
0: from the key forwards but are they more valuable I think so I, I'm right on the an elite medium forward I think is just about the most valuable player on the ground for some clubs if you have an elite medium forward that's really hard to match up on a Dugowie, a Heaney, who had 26 and kicked four on the
2: weekend. Sexton. Sexton, week, is seems. he leading the Commons still? He's, I mean, he's right up there. No, he's, I think Jeremy Cameron, think Jeremy Cameron, Cameron is Who yeah. almost plays like a, a medium forward as opposed to a key. because They the do. And,
0: and
3: as Christian said, like the the benefit of these guys is they can go into the middle. And you don't see Hawkins and Kennedy and and Franklin going into a centre bounce. But these guys can do it.
0: And they're a nightmare to match up on as well. I mean, if you're especially with six six six, if you're a rebounding defender, clearly your aim is to, uh, sure, you're a defender, but you're looking to set up attack from your back half. So you've got that on your mind and you're thinking all the while, oh, crap, I've got, you know, Jordan Dugowie that I need to look after or an Isaac Heaney that I need to look after. It's it's a nightmare for for sort of general defenders.
2: Completely
3: different to a, to a key defender.
2: So the counterpoint um, to your argument, Matt, when you, you're suggesting that the key forwards have almost been overtaken – I think the the general forwards would probably struggle to impact without the structure of having one or two big guys up there. So it's, it's an interesting debate. Point. Like You look at the Richmond Premiership team a couple of years ago, they only had one key forward in Riewoldt and they had a bunch of general forwards who worked so well together but without rewild I think they would have really struggled to, to make that work.
1: And it was very similar to Collingwood last year. Mason Cox with five sort of general forwards around him. So we've seen teams be successful with that setup. But you, you're right, what they both had in common is they at least had one genuine key forward standing in there. But mm-hmm. if a
3: team had to go, if a team decided to go into a game with six general forwards, would that then force the opposition, to, to, to adjust how they defend them. Would they would they drop there? Correct. You'd jet. almost
1: have to adjust your defensive setup to A few late of...
0: changes, Chris Scott style. <laughs> <laughs> long. All right, next topic. Uh, Melbourne's had its fair share of criticism for being winless through three rounds, as has North Melbourne to an extent. But is Carlton flying under the radar for another winless start to the year? Jake... Uh, What do you think about the Blues? And before Jake
2: jumps in, sorry, Matt, I just want to preface this for our listeners. Uh, My three fellow panellists are all Carlton supporters, so it's (laughs) going to be very interesting to hear their take on, on how their beloved Blues are going this year and what their expectations might have been entering 2019.
3: Look, I'm not expecting to play finals or anything crazy like that. I know Matt's uh, pretty bullish on a top four finish this year for Carlton. For
2: Carlton. You you are very much an Turn optimistic blue supporter. I'm optimistic. optimistic. We'll, we'll get into that.
3: <laughs> okay, I don't think I'm top
0: four optimistic. Let's let's get that. Started.
3: But I have had. I am a bit sick of hearing. You know, it was an honourable loss, or they played well on the weekend. or, that you know things didn't quite go go right for them. I get we're still a young developing side, but you know. There gets to a point where you can't go on another year with only two wins. I mean, this is a team that's only won three of their last 34 games. That's, that, that's that, such a silly stat, though. It's not you can, a silly you stat. You can look
0: back and then say they've won eight of their last 40. Like, you can, that's a pretty you can damning draw, stat. But that's you can draw a point. You can draw to the line wherever you want. And you can make the stat look as good, as bad as you like.
3: Oh, I do, well, you could, you could say even eight of the last 40 is not great. I think it might be... I think they won the two games before that. So let's say they've won 5 of the last 36. That's still really
0: really poor. But if they win 6 of the next 12,
3: great. They've won 6 of the uh, Do you think we're going to win 6 th- of the next 12?
0: No, but I'm saying that the stat can be manipulated however you like. Well, let's Continue that, That's
3: the that's the stat. I mean whether you whether you believe it or not, that that's the stat. They've we've won 3 of the last 34 games and that's just not good enough whether you're a young developing side or not.
2: So question to the floor, do you think Carlton have improved this year after 3 rounds? Yes. I, on yes. the 2
0: win season from last year where they were getting blown out by 100 points to Adelaide in the last round and they that didn't have one, many was honorable games
3: that was, we weren't losing by 100 points every week
0: no but they were losing by about 5 to 10 goals most weeks which is which is pretty poor i mean honorable losses at this stage i don't think it's the worst thing in the world to be accepting to, to get well, back, not accepting but to get back to, to the be,
3: original question is Carlton sort of you know dodging the heat a bit obviously melbourne have been in the firing line and north to a lesser extent as well but i, I think it gets to a point where Carlton deserve to have people sort of question Brendan Bolton's position at the club.
1: I so think... I'll throw some numbers at you. So so far this year, sort of everyone's saying, well, at least they've been in games. They've been in front for 15% of game time, which is ranked last. So they haven't had the lead for that, that often during games. Their highest score across their first three rounds is 74 points. That's 10 points lower than any other side's highest score. And that's
3: and that's the issue, is that there's just, the goals aren't coming. And we can talk about Kurnow and Mackay and, and all the, this talent there. But the goals just aren't coming. You, you know that- what Carton doesn't have?
0: An elite medium forward. No. <laughs> and that's
1: that's been my uh, probably frustration as a fan for the last two or three years, that lack of scoring. And that the it doesn't look like it's going anywhere. It doesn't look like that side of the field is improving. Yes, we're staying in games for a little bit longer and our defence looks good. But the scoring has just not increased the way I would hope to.
2: Hopefully. And what about individual players, though? Are there any that, that you think that you can hang your hat on? Everyone knows that Carton have got a developing young list. Are there any that are... A shining and give you a bit of hope for the future? So,
1: for me, there's, there is a tick there. So, using the top five uh, AFL player rating players at Carlton. So, this year, the top five leaders are Patrick Cripps, who's 24 years old. Petrevsky seatons 21. Wiedering's 21. Fisher's 20. And Lockie Plowman's 24. The way Carlton finished last year with their leaders, Cripps was obviously on top, still 24. Second was Kate Simpson. He's 34. Ed Curnow was third. He's 29. Charlie Connell was fourth. So, that's a good one. 22 and 5th was Liam Jones at 28, and I'm pretty sure 6th was Dale Thomas, who's in his 30s as well. So that's what I like to see. The young names are starting to sort of lead the club and sort of uh, have more impact. Just got to see it more from a team level.
0: and 3, it doesn't look good on paper, but I think if you if you watch the Blues, I think there's improvement over last year, and that's all that fans can ask for at this point. And a win will come. Um, they're not going to have a two-win season. They're going to be better than that. They'll win four.
2: Yeah, I think I think looking at it from a, from a, a neutral's list. perspective, I'm confident in Carlton's list going forward. I like the fact... That these young players are developing, I think the questions will start coming though for Bolton if 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 they go if they're one and if they're one and nine after ten rounds for well, example that that's that the figures do speak.
3: Well, let me ask you that, Matt, because you just said you know Carlton's not going to have another two win season, win four at least. What if what if Carlton has a two win season?
0: Yeah, it's a good point. I mean, clearly, is, is
3: Brendan Bolton then in a position where his posi- his position at the football club is under pressure? Y- yes, of course, hugely. But fans need a win. Fans just need a win at this point. Fans need a win. I mean, you, you can't go 12 months without having a win in your own city. I, I can't mean, remember the last time I saw a win live at the footy. Yeah, that's, and that's, that's, that's really—that's
2: really sad. For, it is a bit sad. Yeah, you know, being a Melbourne sport I, I lived through you know seven or eight years of that, so I can sympathise. And it's hard. You do just want to win.
0: I think, but they're on the right track. At the end of the day, so I don't have that sick feeling in the gut that I had when Malthouse was in charge. And until I have that, I'm going to trust my gut on that one. Um, anything else to add, Jake? We'll leave it at that. We could go on for we, a while. We don't want
2: this to become a Carlton Blues special. <laughs> we could go on for a while,
0: but uh, it's time to move on. How about stat with champion data? Pressure is a buzzword in footy circles and has become quoted pretty often uh, in the media and on social media. But do we really understand what it means and how it affects games? Christian, you've got the job of trying to break it down for us laymen. Uh, what can you tell us about some yeah, pressure I'll, stats?
1: I'll do my best. So... Pressure, when people talk about pressure, it's what we call the pressure factor. And what we're doing at Champion Data is we're measuring how much pressure each disposal is under. So we're not looking at the point of taking the ball in possession. It's actually getting rid of the ball. So when you kick it or handball, how much pressure you're under. Um, So each pressure act that we have, we have five sort of different um, levels of pressure that you're under. And they each have a value. That value is based on how much harder you just made for that guy to hit an effective disposal. So sort of starting from the end, the best... Um, level of pressure you have is physical pressure, actually grabbing someone and getting hold of them. That makes it 3.75 times harder to hit the target for the guy that's disposing the ball. So what a team gets there is they get 3.75 points of pressure for every time they put physical pressure on. So your pressure factor at the end of the game is just your average of how much pressure you've put each disposal under. Each club has sort of um, looked at the number being 200 or 2.00 as being that the optimal sort of level of pressure that they want to apply each game. That is a very high number and not many teams reach that number. But sort of speaking to clubs and looking at the club land, they sort of tell their players: two hundred is what we're reaching for a good pressure number. That's just an
2: arbitrary number. We know that we're if we can get to this mystical figure of two hundred, we, we we know our pressures yeah. going through. So the that they don't have to explain to their players: look, if you corral someone, it's worth one point two
1: five, or if yeah. you're chasing him, it's worth one point seven five, or physically, it's three point seven five. It's so, just look at this number and try to get that to two hundred. So when you
0: say two hundred, it's two in the. But they say two hundred. Correct. We just sort of it's
1: it's yeah. it's the. Um, sexiness of the number if you say. We, say we take the decimal point out and we right. say well it's 3.75 uh, pressure points basically say that it's 375 if, you, if, you're, if every disposal of the opposition's under physical pressure you'd end up with a pressure factor of 375 yeah. so that's how it's recorded um, the reason we brought it in is obviously before 2012 when we introduced pressure we only had tackles and everyone was sort of you know jumping on the whole tackles are overrated because obviously you're going to have more tackles if the opposition's got more of the ball so how does that stack up with winning? What pressure does is because it's averaging each disposal out, it doesn't matter whether we, one team's had more disposals than the other. It's just looking at purely when they did have a disposal, how much pressure were they under? So looking at the um, winning correlation for pressure versus tackles. So going back the last five years, if you win the tackles, you win the game 55% of the time. If you win the pressure, you win the game 64% of the time. So it's definitely a better measure yeah. than just looking at raw tackle numbers. Um, so, looking at the teams that do well with pressure this year, it can be a little misleading. So, the top two teams for pressure are Melbourne, a first at 192. Winless Melbourne. Yeah, winless Melbourne. And undefeated Geelong, a second at 189 pressure. Right. Down the other end, you've got GWS, who are fourth on the ladder, 17th for pressure at 170. And West Coast, who are 18th on the ladder, a long way, sort of. Uh, sorry, fourth on the, sixth on the ladder, and 18th for pressure at, down at 167. So look at those raw numbers. You sort of think, well, it doesn't show me anything about who's actually going well.
0: Well, yeah, last year's premiers and they're bottom of the pressure yes. rankings. And and the team it's under the most pressure,
2: winless, the demons appear to have the best pressure in the league. So you can see how the layman, which is three of us in the room, <laughs> or, and and the two other guys that we've got here helping out with production, wouldn't wouldn't kind of correlate with 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 those figures. So yep. how do you explain that?
1: So you take pressure one step further. So Melbourne, yes, they're applying more pressure than any other team at one ninety two. On the flip side, we can look at how much pressure you're receiving. So Melbourne's setup of such a congested and contested game style invites pressure. They want to put pressure on the opposition, but they know when we win the ball, we're going to be in a high-pressure situation. So they've received a pressure factor of 202. So their average is over 200, which is that mystical figure that every club wants to reach. So they're, they're actually inviting or receiving a whole lot more pressure than anyone else. So basically, looking at them, they're, they're applying 192 worth of pressure. They're receiving 202, a differential of 10. That's the second worst differential in the competition. Only Richmond's below them. Mm. So that is who where we're also you struggling. Of, yeah, yeah. Who mm. you, you take that step back from Melbourne and say, yes, well, they're great at putting pressure on, but the problem is that type of game style is, means they're going to receive more pressure. So we can drill, drill down even further and look at how well do you use the ball? And um, looking at Melbourne... They average 4.2 disposals per turnover, which is the worst rate of any side. So they're under so much pressure, they only get about four effective disposals before they turn the ball over. Their opposition, who is under a lot of pressure too, is under yeah. you know more opposition than any other, any other teams putting their opposition under, are averaging 5.56 disposals per turnover, which ranks Melbourne 15th. So it's basically the fourth highest rate conceded. So again, that, that's another big one. Melbourne aren't handling the pressure. It's coming for them and they're turning the ball over. They're putting a lot of pressure on the opposition's disposals, but they're just not getting that reward of turning the ball over down further down the, the field. The interesting
3: thing is, um, last year Melbourne seemed to be playing a similar brand of football. Were they just handling the pressure better last year?
2: Possibly. I mean, it might even. I mean, it. it, it I watch obviously. I watch the Demons very closely, and it, it seems like the the game style of, the, of this season is very much similar to last season. But maybe the. The players are just out of form. the 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 game plan is there, and they just they're just not they a. they might not be handling the pressure as well, but. I mean, people, teams and people can can just go out of form. So maybe, maybe they're just trying to search for that.
0: I saw you had a couple of players on a list there as well. I mean, is there are there any Melbourne players that are kind of indicative of being under pressure more than others?
1: Uh, so, yeah, if we look at, yeah, when you are under pressure, so what, what, what I've taken is when you're under physical pressure, so when someone's got their hands on you or so around you. So that's a tackle sort of... You. Correct. So, a, a, again, this is probably taking it a step further, a tackle has to actually either stop a disposal or affect a disposal. So you can have physical pressure... But if, you're, if the guy you're tackling still gets a handball straight to his teammate, you won't get a tackle stat, you'll get a physical pressure stat. So that's is, that, how we is, that, w-
3: is that true of, nor- of of the tackle statistic as correct. we know it?
1: Yes, correct. So we have what we call a tackle efficiency stat. So it's basically how many times did you attempt to tackle someone but actually record an effective tackle? And an eff- again, going that's back really to an effective tackle has to actually impact the disposal. So looking at players when they're under physical pressure and how well they use it, I've looked at the top five players that are under physical that have had disposal under physical pressure, and there's sort of names that you'd sort of be able to uh, guess. So Ben Cunnington's had 28 disposals with someone hanging off him, Tom Liberatore, 22, Angus Brayshaw, 21, James Harms, 21, Patrick Cripps at 21 as well. What stands out to me, though, is the disposal efficiency when they're under physical pressure. Brayshaw is clearly the lowest of that group at 33.3%. The other four, the next lowest is 60.7, which is Ben Cunnington. So that's just one sort of... Um, measurement that you can sort of see an example of a Melbourne player who's just not handling that sort of game style. The game style that Melbourne are bringing to the table is not working. He's just for not pretty handling pretty sure. the heat. Really so you
0: talked about tackles. What other points of pressure have like uh, values on them that you that you record?
1: Yep. So basically, you, you've got a set position. So you take a mark. You're not under any pressure. So right, you, yep. no, you don't sort of get you know no players are applying pressure on you there. The next one is. If you're in general play and you've got no pressure on you, so it's it, the team has an opportunity to put you under pressure. So yep. it's not a set kick or anything like that, but there is no way. So one if you're strolling you. off half back, for instance, correct. Yep. So, um, and again, they're, they're sort of the two that no player is attached to. That's basically the opposition's not under any pressure. So the three ways a player can apply pressure: there's corralling pressure, which is worth one point two pressure points. So corralling is sort of standing in front of the guy, not letting him get around you, but you're not getting any closer to him. Yep. The next one is closing. Uh, which we sort of break out into closing and chasing. So closing from the front and chasing from behind, that's worth 2.25 pressure points. And again, the third one is the physical pressure, which I've spoken about being 3.75.
2: That's really insightful stuff. And even as a pretty hardened footy fan, it's um, an area which I didn't really understand. And pressures seems to be a really important part of the footy landscape, which I'm guessing a lot of people also don't understand. But what really caught my attention as well as um, Melbourne being the number one pressuring team in the competition, and we've explained why it might not be working for Melbourne at the moment. But the other one is West Coast being eighteenth, and that must really speak to their game style as well. So they obviously don't put as much focus on pressure, but at the contest, but more about uh, pressuring win- up the field, pressuring up the field, and winning and being comp- backing their intercept defenders to actually win the ball from there. Is that have I interpreted that yeah, right? Correct.
1: So. Yep. West Coast play a kick-and-mark style game. So the more marks you take, the less pressure you're under. So, mm. they, yeah, exactly that. They sort of like that open space. Sort of, um, again, looking at it from sort of a layman's term, they, they just want McGovern, Barass, Hurt. They'll back their defenders to win the ball. So they're not going to sort of be right at the face, in your face, trying to sort of... You Corral know, and the ball tackle. and things like that. Yeah. They're sort of going to say, well, we'll trust our setup. We'll mm. try to win the ball in contest, But if you win the ball, we're not sort of going to change anything and sort of, you know, have five guys run towards the ball carrier. We're going to set up in our um, in our zone, allow it sort of to get into that forward line, you know, all the back line and maybe the McGovern, Barras clean it up and they go again. But again, looking at their differential for pressure, they, they do apply more pressure than their opposition. So they're low pressure games, but they're still winning the pressure factor
0: pressure hopefully we've uh, opened a few eyes and it's the buzzword at the moment tell you what i feel a bit so
2: yeah i feel like we could have gone on i know we're we're a bit hand tied with time but i could have talked pressure for a lot longer yeah i've got another three pages here so where we (laughs) go you might have to come come in for a
0: second (laughs) second podcast this week we'll see how we go but it is time to move on because it's time for my favorite segment i've had a gutful jake it's time to get on your high horse get the megaphone out and just start ranting what is on your mind this week?
3: This is something that's really bugged me for a number of years now, and um, I-, I honestly just don't know why it continues to happen. Commentary—it's not an—it's not an easy thing to do, and I respect all the football commentators out there because, as I said, it's it's quite a challenging job. But getting the names right, getting players' names right, has to be the easiest thing to do, and time and time again, they are wrong. Who wears number nine for Essendon? Uh, I would be Dylan Shield with no S, would it? It would be. It's not Dylan Shields. Same with Hawthorne. It's Liam Shields, not Liam Shield. Caleb Daniel, not Caleb Daniels. Their list goes on and on and on,
0: and I don't get why this continues to happen. It's infuriating. Get the players' names right. Well, I mean, the biggest one that I notice, and it's every week when Geelong play on a Thursday or a Friday night, Menengola. I don't know where that second N has there's come no, from.
3: There's only one N in his name, Menagola. So- yeah,
2: I think the standard of... Com- I mean, Jake, Jake's correct in saying it must be one of the most hard, difficult sports to commentate. But I think the standard is slipping. And I must admit, one element which really gets my blood boiling is when... And I'm not going to name the commentators, but there's a few in particular that time after time, they say the West Coast and the GWS... It's, it's not right It's, it's like saying The wrong. Carlton or the Melbourne yeah. It's, it's, it's uh, the, the West Eagles. Coast Eagles
3: <laughs> Or West Coast you, you don't need to put The at the front of it It makes an absolutely no sense oh, Why do they do it? Absolutely does my head in that does If you're writing a story Words on a paper You would not write it that way You don't say The GWS When you're writing a story But they continue to say it And it's, it's
0: wrong Is there a case to be made For less is more in commentary? Yes like, kind of like what they do in, in football over in England.
2: Yeah, and um, growing up as a cricket fan, I've noticed a change in, in cricket commentary was, you know, back maybe 10 or 15 years ago, they let the game do the talking and they added their insight and analysis around that. And now there's blokey in-jokes, there's, you know, the people jumping in over each other. It, it's just the standards gone down. I would argue on, that, you know, now.
3: football is very high pace and there's a lot happening and that you've, you've got to be on top of everything and you've got to be explaining what's happening, more so than football or cricket. But... Yeah, I think um, when it comes to players' names, that's got to be the easiest part of the job, really.
2: Well said, Jake. And um, on a similar vein, we we did a shout out to to our listeners last week um, about their their best or worst footy gripes using the hashtag #footy gripes. Get and involved on Twitter. Get involved in Twitter. And uh, our favourite one from the weekend was uh, Sam Bun at Sam Bun Nine, who's uh, who pointed out. He can't stand people who rock up to their middle-of-the-row seats halfway through each quarter. And I, I can sympathise with that. That's that not that good enough. That drive me insane too. It's well, in there's the only NCC one thing members. worse than
3: that. When they rock up late and then five minutes later they want to get up to go and get a drink.
0: And you got to get up again. I'm, I'm telling you, it sounds a bit... Um elitist i guess but as an mcc member the worst is when it's about three or four minutes out from halftime and everyone goes well it's time to go to the bar and get a drink <laughs> and you'll just want to watch you just want to watch the footy uh, and people are getting up and, and trying to get past you i can fully get behind that
2: one so there's plenty out there so keep them coming in uh, hashtag footy gripes
0: and the three votes goes to yes this is my segment where i can sort of uh, shine a light on the positive things from the week and i think it's Shines the right word because the Gold Coast Suns. I see what you're doing. <laughs> the Gold Coast, if <laughs> it will, Jake, <laughs> are shining pretty bright at the no, moment. You um, honestly, they're a point or they're two points away from really having been three and zip, and not many people saw it coming. But to be fair to them, they had a bit of a culture turnaround in the off season. I think it's to be commended. I mean, their recruiting's been pretty good. Sam Collins and Jack Jack Homsch have taken the key back slots. Really well after someone like Rory Thompson went down with an ACL and Stephen May left, um, they kind of backed in their retention program. I remember during the draft that other clubs were saying, "Oh, they shouldn't draft some of these kids because they'll be coming back in." A, you know, we'll just wait for them for a couple of years and they'll come back. But they backed their process in taking Lacocious Rankin King. Seems to have been a bit of a buy-in around the club. Alex Sexton's re-signed, I think, for another four years. I think things are turning around for the Gold Coast, and it's not, it might not materialise too quickly on the field. The off-field changes they've made have been pretty positive, and I think it's pretty indicative of a change in
2: Queensland footy as a whole, Neil. The whole state's shining, um, pardon the pun. The, I, I must admit, I got it wrong. I wasn't alone. I. I when Sexton went down with his ACL... Uh, Thompson. I, Thompson. Thompson, sorry. I Don't was, scare everyone <laughs> like that. Um, <laughs> I was certainly concerned that they that they might go winless. I and mean, I don't
3: think you are alone there. I, I think a lot of people sort of thought they would be, win maybe they, one game for the whole year.
2: And their list looked so threadbare, and they were obviously doing a, a full reset and rebuild. And I, I'm staggered at how well they're playing. They look like they've got their defense set up, talking about these young really teams well. like Carlton... Um, they they really they've they've stemmed the bleeding. If so you like, right. they're the third hardest sco- side to score
1: against once getting it inside fifty. And I sort of looked at their defence the other day. They've played eight defenders. One of those was George Hall and Smith, who was out around one, and the, sort of their seventh defenders, Jordan Murdoch. But they're backing those those six defenders that they started round one in. They've barely changed. I think this six 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 rule. A lot of teams are sort of looking a little a lot more settled, not moving guys yeah. in positions. Probably worked well, wonders for the Gold Coast. That back six is really getting some cohesion. Gold Coast, not <laughs> no Gold Coast. <laughs> and you know what? The situation was
0: dire when Thompson went down. Everyone was yeah. like, "Oh, their key backs, their key back stocks and are, no, are no good. No, no May, no Thompson." But I tell you what, and, Tom, um, and
2: we haven't mentioned Tom Lynch going. Well, so book ends
0: really.
3: Question good. for the Suns is, um, can they go on with it? I think last year were they two and two last year after four? They, they tend to have good starts so to the season and start, then, and I don't think they won too many more games after that. I'm so.
2: holding off on labelling them a success. I they're still my tip for the wooden spoon which sounds a bit silly when they're when they could almost be 3-0 but um, but certainly the signs are incredibly positive and what about the the lines the the, the the whole state of Queensland footy I know Jake you are big on the lines your man Lockie Neal is continuing to dominate
3: <laughs> yeah no they look good um, another three saw... votes on the weekend was it? You'd think so. He was good. Hipwood might have stolen him though. Uh, no, they do. They look good, and they've done. Their recruiting's been fantastic. Brisbane really has. When you look at some of the names they've brought in from other clubs, you know, not just the big name like Lockie Neal, but guys like Mitch Robinson, who's really reinvented himself at um, at the lines. Uh, Jared Lyons as well really talented player another just adds to the midfield depth as well plus they've got all these young kids and they're all starting to develop at the same time you know and maybe that's what's going to happen to Carlton in
0: 12-18 months time but yeah they're really exciting at the moment Brisbane Yeah. what do they say about Queensland it's beautiful one day perfect the next Well, certainly in footy terms it is this year well, the, the sun is shining. I'll stop with the puns now. Uh, footytips.com.au is your home of tipping the AFL and a multitude of other sports. You can challenge your family, friends and co-workers in your own private comp and see how you fare compared to more than 650,000 tipsters worldwide. Neil, I know you've got a couple of interesting stats from the weekend of tipping.
2: Another really difficult round of uh, tipping. I'm not alone, which is good. Um Only four tippers. Uh, got a perfect nine out of nine and tipped the right margin, which is zero point zero 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 six percent. We could almost round that down to zero, but <laughs> well, we, <laughs> impressive we got the math effort. wrong
0: in in round one after round one. So we we hope that the math is right, but. There's a, a few zeros after that decimal point, there so that's very is. impressive.
2: Um, and taking away the, the margin, uh, 136 tippers out of 650,000 managed to pick nine. So incredible effort if you're picking nine. I think you're just throwing darts at a dartboard if you're getting nine from last weekend. But <laughs> maybe that's just sour grapes because I'm still uh, not maybe going so well. Maybe
0: that's the what you've got to do from <laughs> now on. An interesting one I noticed was that uh, Bulldog supporters are the best tippers uh, in, in, the, uh, in terms of per, per, by club, followed by Geelong and Brisbane. Interesting. Yeah, the interesting thing is those teams are winning. So mm. if you're tipping with your heart, it seems you're doing well. And your if your team's going well, if, you, if your team's going well, if you tip with your heart, you're doing well. How are the Deeds fans going? <laughs>
2: probably not so well. But the one I've noticed uh, <laughs> down at the bottom, the in, if you're breaking it down club by club, uh, North Melbourne are worst, and that's obviously probably their their supporters backing their club every week and and getting found wanting.
0: Yeah. Well. Okay. This week is another going to be another hard.
2: Every week's hard
0: I know we say that We should probably try and back ourselves a bit more But this week is going to be a particularly difficult week to tip There are a few interesting games But I'm going to go around the room and ask for your outsider And your certainty for the week Jake, would you like to kick us off?
3: Sure. Um, this is a bit controversial, considering they haven't won a game yet. But I'm going to say Melbourne is a certainty oh. to beat Sydney. <laughs> Neil, you, you can't believe it. Heart uh, no, palpitations over here. I, I really think so. I think it's time now. I, I well, I, we not all kind Sydney on the weekend. We all kind of said it last week. No, I'm really not. Um, I think Sydney's a bit over, just a bit overrated. If anyone rates them at all, I don't think Sydney's going to feature in September um, at all, and I, I think Melbourne still will. So. I'm going to back Melbourne to, to get on the board this week. In terms of a potential upset, well, it's hard to not go past Brisbane again. I mean, Brisbane are starting in a, as an outsider against the Bombers. Bombers played well at the MCG, but, I mean, how can you go past
2: Brisbane? 3-0. Oh. Fair enough. I mean, they're, they're playing pretty well. I know um, uh, my my outsider is more possibly more surprising to you three than than even that one, and, and I'm tipping... Carlton, another win- winless team, to win. It's two weeks in a row now. I know. <laughs> if I do it every week, surely they'll get one. Uh, they'll get a win up. But I'm going to go for Carlton in an upset over Gold Coast, not the Gold Coast. <laughs> um, and my certainty of the week are the Eagles over Frio. The Eagles, I was so impressed with how clinical they were um, against Collingwood. And if with clouds over Nathan Fife with this concussion, I think the Eagles will just be far too strong. Well, point. Sort of agree uh, with both of you, half half away each. My certainty
1: is West Coast over Frio, so I think they'll get the derby done. I've actually gone for an outsider as Melbourne. I was looking at the odds, and they're actually outside on the odds, so you're yeah. pretty confident with them, Jake, but Certainly. I've got them down as my Certainly's outsider. I a big I call. Think, I think no, I they're, they're well.
2: due. They're overdue. Matt?
0: Uh, that's fair. Uh, my outside. I think the Giants can beat Geelong down at Geelong. I like the Giants this year. I think they're lost to West that's Coast. That's a big call because I think Geelong have had,
3: I think the last three games they might be averaging 100-point wins at the Cattery.
0: Hard to beat down there. Very they hard are hard to, to beat. beat down there, but I, I think I don't know. That's well, they're my outsider, so. And they weren't
3: that. Yeah. They weren't that great on their, their last road trip. Uh, the Giants.
0: No, they weren't. But they've been very good otherwise. And my certainty, I think, is uh, Port to beat Richmond. Dustin Martin won't play. Trent Cochran won't play. Uh, Richmond are in all sorts. So I think that's the way it's going to go. Another big round. I think we've run a little bit over time, so <laughs> we're going to have to wrap it up. Uh, of course, get involved on Twitter at Footy Tips and at ESPN OzNZ. Don't forget to hashtag your footy gripes for us for next week. We'll, uh, we'll continue reading out some of the best, and I think we'll speak to you in the next one.
1: Thanks for listening to the ESPN Footy Tips AFL podcast.